Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have Sam Rathling, who is a specialist in helping corporates use LinkedIn effectively. Sam, social selling, a waste of time? Social selling, a waste of time. What a great way to start. Absolutely not. Social selling is absolutely by far the number one focus that corporate should have right now. This is where people get LinkedIn totally wrong and they focus on pitching and seeing it as a sales tool, but not understanding the true meaning of what social selling is all about. So I think that that's a great question to start with. Okay. I don't want my people wasting their time on LinkedIn. It's just a distraction. Well, there's a statement. I would agree with you if they don't know what they're doing with it. So it can be a waste of time if people don't know what they're doing with it. So it seems like a great place to be, a great place to invest time in. I agree with you. However, a corporate that's not using LinkedIn effectively, according to a recent study by HubSpot, is missing out on 80% of business-to-business leads by not knowing how to use LinkedIn. How much? 80% missed opportunities. 80 or 18? 80, 80. Okay. So there's a 400% increase in pipeline potential if you're using social selling on LinkedIn effectively. Absolutely. So when people are complaining that their salespeople aren't speaking to enough decision makers, the pipeline is weak or inconsistent, teaching their people how to operate effectively in the social media space, particularly using LinkedIn, which is the number one B2B tool, that can be a huge boost to their performance. Absolutely. It's a fantastic, phenomenal tool for salespeople. If they're looking for inbound leads, brand awareness, the ability to get directly to decision makers. They're wasting so much time cold calling and prospecting and trying to get to these people, but they're all sitting there under their nose on LinkedIn if they only knew how to use it. This is probably an unfair question, but do you have any idea what the impact is on the reduction of the cost per lead and the shortening of the sales cycle that occurs if people do social selling well? Well, I wouldn't have specific statistics, but from my experience dealing with multiple everything from FTSE 100 companies right the way through to SME business owners. It's absolutely the best way to get to prospects. It's a fantastic way to shorten sales cycle. It's a phenomenal way to drive both inbound leads. I mean, imagine having people inboxing you say, I want to talk to you about your product or service. We can get people to the point where they've got 5, 10 of those a day coming into their inbox as long as they know how to use the platform. So I think it's a case of they're on it. You know, they've got a profile. They just have absolutely no idea how to unlock the amazing potential that's there. It's certainly made a difference. I mean, we use social selling and LinkedIn ourselves, and uh, we've managed to get a a good score in terms of the social selling index, which we'll talk about in a minute. But one of the things that's really struck me is the amount of time it knocks off the sales cycle if people are engaging with your content and engaging with your salespeople at a strategic level rather than just simply being pitched. So I'd like to explore content production, if I may, from a corporate perspective. What are the do's and don'ts? Content is really important that it's pull versus push. So the people that get it incorrect, and you'll see brands doing this all the time, is they see the platform as an advertising space. They see it as a place for them to push their message into the newsfeed. Well, that doesn't work on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's newsfeed and the content you put out there is all about creating value. It's all about driving engagement and conversation. And it's all about pulling people towards your brand versus push. And the brands that get that right and really out there kind of 
positioning themselves as experts in what they do and really focusing on leveraging the platform and understanding what content works and what doesn't are the ones who are really absolutely killing it and getting lots and lots of opportunities for their brand. One of the really interesting things is that organizations like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, they use the platforms themselves, but Mm -hmm. they understand that if they have a telephone-based sales follow-up, they sell seven times more than if they don't. And I think it's that blended approach that's really important here. So let's talk about a little bit about the process of bringing business into the company. What are the steps that you have to take in order to pull those prospects? The first step would be making sure that the person's or the company's LinkedIn profiles The people representing your organization, either in the sales department or in the leadership team, their personal profile needs to look the part. So that's a major part of this. And that can come into things like branding, consistency. I'm amazed every time I look at people's profiles and they work for the same organization, but they may as well work for completely different companies on different planets because there's zero consistency and alignment between all of their profiles looking the part and them having a consistent message. So that would be the first thing. The profile really needs to speak to your target market. When you are prospecting, people are going to look at your profile. So when you are reaching out to potential prospects, people are going to come and look at your profile, decide whether or not they're going to connect with you. And that decision is going to be made in less than five seconds based on your profile. So that would be point number one in answer to your question, Marcus, would be get your LinkedIn profile looking the part and speaking to your target market. The second piece to this is then it's about building a network of people that are in your target market. So it's about understanding how to leverage first degree connections, secondary connections, and third degree connections. And really, I recommend usually prospecting within your second degree networks, but that's people that are one step removed from you. So you've already got some mutual connections. There's some common ground there, but it's far easier to prospect in your second degree network and just go for the people that are one handshake away, as I call it. And then once you've brought those people into your network, some of them will engage with you straight away. It's about having a really consistent and nice, not nice, what's the best word, relationship building message that doesn't go straight in for the pitch. So when you're asking people to connect with you, that's the only objective of the first outreach is to get them to say, yes, I'll connect. The second message back to those people, again, it has to be all about them. It can't be any kind of sales pitch or this is why I want to talk to you because you'll just put people off. So the type of messaging that you're using in first degree connection requests, as well as the second message back once they've connected is really, really key to starting a conversation. And that's, I guess, one of the biggest keywords I'm going to give you today is it's about conversations. It's about real human to human conversations because leads and opportunities will come off the back of a dialogue that starts If you just pick up some of those pain points, which I know you're really passionate about, picking up some of those pain points that you know those prospects have and doing that within the conversation, because that will lead the online to an offline conversation. It's interesting. We always teach our clients not to sell selfishly, not to be eye-centered. And very often when you receive a jarring communication, it feels like it's selfish It feels like it's self-serving and it doesn't try to enter the conversation that the prospect is already having. It doesn't enter into their world. It's all me, me, me. And it's a bit like someone showing photos of their ugly kid. So I'm curious about this. When it comes to individual profiles for Mm -hmm. corporates, one of the things I see a lot of is people producing what is in effect a job advertisement. 
as opposed to something that's there to create engagement. How do people get out of that trap? And what are some tips or questions that you might pose them in order to help them produce an effective profile? As you say, it needs to really be about the customer. It needs to be about what value do they bring? What makes them and their company different? So it needs to move away from being effectively a CV, which unfortunately is how LinkedIn helps you build your profile. It it does effectively make you write it as a CV, but there's 2,000 characters in that professional summary that allows you to really, really talk directly to your potential client. So I would say it's five, six paragraphs. It would definitely need to have a little bit about you, but most of that profile should be 100% focused on the prospect and what, how you can help them, what value do you offer. It shouldn't be a big list of all your products and services. And the other thing that's really important is it, it shouldn't be all the boring stuff that everybody else in your industry says as well. So saying things like we give really good customer service is not going to you know, compel anybody to want to do business with you because you can literally put somebody else's name and somebody else's company on the top of it and they would be able to say the same thing. You've really got to dig into like what's, why you, why your company, what makes you different and why would they want to engage with you? Talk about what you're passionate about and why you love your job and why they should engage with you. They're the kind of things that need to come through in your profile. That's very useful. Um, Tell me this then, at an individual level for senior executives, what's the value in having a strong profile? There's a couple of things here. It's your personal brand at the end of the day. So whether you're working as, at a senior level in a current organization, it's about your personal brand. So the way you represent that company and the way you represent yourself is really important to the external world, but also internally as well. Secondly, it's your reputation. It's your credibility that's on the line. So your, if your LinkedIn profile doesn't live up to how brilliant you are at your job, then that's going to impact potential career advancement. It's going to impact you know, the way that customers see you, etc. So really for senior level executives, you really need to be positioning yourself as a thought leader in your industry because that's going to both help your personal brand, it's going to help your future career opportunities, and it is going to really help draw customers towards you and potential clients towards you. To take that a little bit further, one of the areas that we certainly teach our clients to focus in terms of developing their senior leadership profiles is making them attractive for a recruitment perspective. So what tips can you give to senior leaders within corporates in terms of attracting top talent? Candidates that are looking and considering your company to join are going to research the top leaders in that organization. So it's staggering the amount of C-level executives that I see on LinkedIn, and they have literally their job title, their photograph, maybe, and a couple of lines about who they are. I mean, this is a brilliant way to attract talent to your organization. They are going to look you up. They are going to want to know who's at the helm and who's leading that organization. And it's such a missed opportunity if those senior leaders don't have a profile that attracts the best talent. And it's just such a shame when you see that happening on the platform. It's, it's such a wasted opportunity. I've also seen last year, we sponsored a couple of awards. And one of the people who won the Executive Assistant of the Year Award made special focus as part of her job, revamping the senior leadership's LinkedIn profile and their Glassdoor score dramatically improved. And they started to attract some really strong talent to their business, which helped them to grow, increase the value of their share price because of the results those individuals were able to deliver. I can't stress enough how important it is. 
So tell me this, in terms of how LinkedIn is evolving, how is that going to affect the corporate users and how they can leverage LinkedIn to support their brand? There's been a lot of changes happen with LinkedIn over the last couple of years, particularly since the Microsoft acquisition. There is going to be a lot more emphasis and focus on bringing more technologies to the platform. So for example, at the moment, there is no ability to do live video on LinkedIn. That's definitely something that is down the line. Groups on LinkedIn have not had a huge amount of focus in the last couple of years. That's all about to change. So you know, building a community on LinkedIn around your brand, that's something to put on the radar for the next 12 months because that hasn't had a major focus until recently. And now that's going to have a major push on the platform. There are so many ways for a brand to build their audience and drive people to their, you know, both from a recruitment perspective, but also from a customer perspective. There's just so many opportunities, Marcus. So from the the profiles to the way that you post and the content you put out there, groups, corporate pages, I mean, they're fantastic, especially if you're working in a larger company, which is well known. It's harder for a smaller business to get traction there, but certainly for the larger brands that are listening to this, obviously corporate pages are massively important in terms of building that reputation, credibility, and and building brand awareness. It depends on the company in terms of whether they're they're looking at ad spend, etc., as to whether or not they're looking at spending money with LinkedIn to push their brand into the newsfeed. But certainly, if they are missing a trick, if they aren't looking to LinkedIn over the next three to five years, because it is a fantastic platform for them to achieve their goals. One thing as a small business looking to grow and develop my market share is I've come to the realization that my website, frankly, is invisible, but my profile on LinkedIn ranks very high. Rather than throwing a whole heap of money at a website, which is essentially a badly produced, very tiresome brochure, what would you suggest people do in terms of tarting up their corporate page, coordinating their staff in order to make sure there's consistency of message and that they're using those collective networks in order to surround the right type of prospects so that they can start to build their business. I do teach a lot of small businesses and it is quite hard to get traction compared to the bigger brands on the LinkedIn platform from a corporate page perspective. So generally when I want to work with smaller companies, I get them to focus much more on their personal profiles, both the leader, but also their team as well. So coming back to that message around consistency and alignment, you know, whether I go to the MD's profile or whether I go to the salesperson's profile or the admin assistant, having some consistency around the visual impact of those profiles is really important. And the great thing about a small team is that they can play team with each other. I mean, I was training a company last month, 15 of them, the leadership team, marketing, and their sales team. But because of the way that they work together on the platform now, they all look the same. They've got consistency. But every time somebody in the team posts, all of the other team members are able to engage with that post and help that post get into more news feeds. And therefore, they're actually playing team together and helping each other to push each other content out there. And then more eyeballs are seeing their brand. In fact, I've landed a new client off the back of that because they couldn't believe the difference in 
you know, the, just the activity levels, the, the fact that they, there were so many products and services and things that they didn't know that that company did until they started leveraging the newsfeed and pushing out the right content in a non-salesy way to just kind of share what they're up to. And it's as simple as that with the newsfeed. Social selling is not about saying, hey, buy my stuff. It's about sharing what you're up to and subliminally putting out there through the newsfeed that you do these certain things and you are giving social proof that you're good at what you do. And that will just attract people to you if you've got the right network. Certainly, the social proof is very interesting. I mean, the way I look at it is that I want to create awareness and then create familiarity. Mm-hmm. Once I've created familiarity, people tend to engage. Once they engage, then we're into a conversation. And then we take it whichever direction they want to take it. But it allows me and my team to very rapidly develop credibility with people who are up until a week ago, even, were total strangers. Mm-hmm. But having that body of content behind us is allowing us to demonstrate a good deal of social proof. The other piece on that, which is testimonials and recommendations, how do you suggest corporates use that in order to elevate their brand? Oh, recommendations are amazing. And we're not talking about endorsements here, Marcus, just to be clear, because there's yeah. a big difference between an endorsement where someone's just ticked a box to say, yes, you're good at that, A recommendation is phenomenal. It's a written testimonial that you're brilliant at what you do. So I have over 160 recommendations on my profile and I win business sheerly on the number of people that have recommended me over other people in my industry. So recommendations are amazing and there's a number of ways to build them into your sales process. So how many times, Marcus, have you had somebody say, wow, thank you so much, Marcus. You did such a great job or they've been on one of your courses, or they've been and sat in your amazing office for a number of hours. Like how many people kind of email you, text you, call you and say, great job, thank you. I'm sure it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, well, like you, I've got uh, just looking at 170 written recommendations. That just speaks volumes. If people out there are not asking their customer, every time someone says, great job, they get an email that says, fantastic, thanks for the great work. I mean, it's really simple to build in a response back on that saying, well, thanks so much for your lovely email, your lovely text, your lovely call, whatever it was. Would you mind giving me a LinkedIn recommendation to that effect? Building into your follow-up process on the sales side of things, every single time that a customer is a happy customer, to ask them would they give a recommendation is a brilliant way to build your credibility. And it, you know, it just it's just social proof and it just backs up everything that you're posting and everything you're speaking about, and it's a really good way to close more customers. I always teach my clients, this is one of the family jewels that I'm about to give away. But if someone is willing to write a testimonial, it's very difficult for a lot of people to come up with the words. And so a simple rule is give them some questions. So the questions I like to give my clients to give to their clients are, who are you and who do you serve? What problem originally caused you to invite me in to help? What initial resistance did you have or concerns? What results you generate as a direct result of my contribution? What surprised you and would you recommend me and why? Now, off the back of that, like I said, uh, was it 170 different? 170 recommendations. Most of them answering those questions. And that then takes people through a journey of a narrative, a hero's journey. And as a result, what tends to happen is when people are rifling through those testimonials and recommendations, they're saying to themselves, well, hang on a second, this is very different. And when you've got that body of support, that customers 
have given you that endorsement. And by endorsement, I mean a written testimony, taking them through that story. I've won at least a dozen clients off the back of people reading my testimonials. And I get calls saying, I've read your testimonials. When can I start? Absolutely. They're so powerful. That's the thing. And most people have got less than 10 recommendations on their profile. So if you're listening to this and you have less than 10 recommendations, I'm sure there are people that you've worked with, done business with, have been colleagues of. If you ask the question, they would give you a recommendation. And, and you can probably think about four or five people that immediately you would be able to pick up the phone and say, listen, I'm really building up my credibility on LinkedIn. Would you mind giving me a recommendation? You do have to be first degree connections in order to be able to either give a recommendation or receive one. My other top tip would be give them first. So if you've got some prospects or some customers that are dormant right now, and you haven't been in touch with them for a while, and you're thinking like, what's the best way for me to get back in touch with those people? Giving a recommendation on LinkedIn to somebody is a really good way to waken up that relationship and rekindle that and be able to start a conversation again. That's a fantastic bit of advice. So if you want to get more, give more. Give more. Absolutely. I have a giving rule in my business that I give one recommendation a week. And I surprise somebody out of the blue in my network and I give a recommendation because it's number one, it's a nice thing to do. It makes you feel fuzzy inside. But secondly, the ripple effect of that giving is phenomenal. So think about 10 people that you could give a recommendation to, customers, suppliers, doesn't matter what relationship it is, just use that as a really great way to rekindle relationships and build relationships. Absolutely. I look forward to receiving one soon. Well, I shall be sending you one very soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So tell me this then, if we look at the pitfalls of corporates in particular, misusing LinkedIn, um, we've already talked about being too salesy. We've already talked about being bland and anodyne. Yeah. And we've also talked about being feature benefit led and sounding mm-hmm. like everybody else. What are the other mistakes people make in corporates in particular that cause them to not get the investment, the return on investment they could or should through their LinkedIn membership? Another great question. So I think there's a couple of pitfalls personally that people can fall into the trap of. So I've seen people's reputations tumble by getting involved in rant and arguments and controversial posts that really shouldn't. uh, And unfortunately, because of LinkedIn's algorithm, loving posts that get major engagement, they do tend to go very viral very quickly. So that's a surefire way to damage your brand. If your team and your staff don't know what they're doing and they're out there and you don't have a really watertight social media policy, you never know what kind of conversations and rants people are going to get themselves involved in. So that would definitely be a pitfall to avoid, for sure. I don't know if you've ever seen that happen, but you know, I, oh, I yeah. actually had a case recently and it, you know, it happened on a Saturday night at around 11 o'clock. I saw this rant going. I was like, oh my goodness, like these people just need to stop what they're doing or someone needs to take down that post because it was just getting so out of control. People don't realize the impact and the damage that has on their brand, their reputation. And you know, your staff are out there representing your organization. So you need yeah. to make sure that they know and understand the etiquette and they understand what to do and what not to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Never post drunk. No, never. <laughs> and one of the other things that, let's talk a little bit about the etiquette. One thing I see happening quite a lot, and it happens on my post quite frequently, is someone will try and hijack it with a link to their content stuff like that. What are the other etiquette faux pas that one should avoid? Definitely wouldn't recommend doing that. I think it's just common sense, I think, Marcus. You know, every time you post something or every time you 
do anything on the platform, number one, most of your network see it and other people are going to be visible in that as well. So every time you like or comment on something, your brand is going into the newsfeed. So you have to really think about what you're going to comment on, what you're going to post on. Always think, am I adding value by posting this? And if you're not adding value to that post or to that person or to your network, every time you comment or like something, then it's important to just take a step back and think, do I, am I really, what am I doing to my brand here? Am I enhancing my personal brand or am I taking away from it? So definitely think before you post. It is possible to untag yourself from posts. It's possible to edit and delete comments and posts as soon as you put them up. So if you do feel like you've made an error or mistake, you can rectify it. I think the definitely would be a no-no to comment and try and hijack someone else's post, that's for sure. I think you know that LinkedIn is looking for you to engage and have conversation, have dialogue. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but just know the boundaries. I usually advise people to stay away from anything contentious controversial, political, religious, et cetera. Just kind of stay away from all that. I know it sounds a bit boring, but just think this is my personal reputation at stake. And you're also representing in a lot of cases, not just your own personal brand, but your organization. And you know, you need to be careful of that too. I think there's a very fine balance. Certainly we, uh, I and my associate Benjamin Dennehy caught some controversy every now and again because we, <laughs> we're opinionated. And it does result in either people loving you or hating you. It's, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're both very Marmite when it comes to the platform. The reality is that we're not interested in creating engagement with everybody. There's a particular audience that likes what we do and is likely to engage with us. It's a very large proportion of the audience who's going to look at it and say, nah, not for me. Just caveat what Sam said, which is if you're going to pick a fight, Pick a fight about something that you actually know something about. Be vulnerable, nurturing, and assertive. Don't be a victim, a persecutor, or a rescuer. And stay out of fights that you cannot win. And don't make it personal. If someone is taking a pop at you, don't start doing, you did this, you did that. Thank them for their contribution. Get embroiled into the detail of a genuine debate. I'm a big fan of disagreeing with people. I think constructive conflict is hugely positive. And certainly some of the posts that I've had the most engagement have been where it has been pretty contentious and people have engaged and we've been able to have a debate and conversation instead of just people saying, yep, absolutely agree. I don't see that as engagement. That's just a little tick in the box and it's an ego stroke. So I get what you're saying. Stay away from religion and politics that kind of thing, because I, I'm not sure LinkedIn is the right platform for that. Yeah. If you want to do that, go on to Twitter, go on to YouTube, go on to Facebook and pick a spat there. One thing, there's this sort of perennial debate about having a large versus a tight targeted network. When is it a good idea to have a big network? And when is it a good idea to have a tight and targeted one? I think it really depends, Bagus, on what, who you are, what you do, and what kind of industry you're in. So if you are in the business of sales, business development, and you have a lot of target market to go after, i.e. there's a massive market share that you don't have right now, then having a large network of people is a really, really good idea if you know how to use LinkedIn correctly. So when I teach really advanced search targeting with Boolean string, and I'm not going to go into what that is now, that's another three-hour podcast. But if you actually understand how to advance search 
and prospect the platform properly, then there is a massive advantage to having a big first degree network because you're opening up the door to thousands and thousands and thousands of prospects that you previously couldn't get to. If you are, let's say, a executive headhunter in the C-suite space, well, having a massive network of lots and lots of people who are non-C-suite might not be the best idea. You're more attractive to your target market if you just have a select, for example, 500, 750 only C-suite type people. So I think it really largely depends on what you are and who you are and what you do. But if you're in business development and sales and you don't have a large network on LinkedIn, you're missing the point because... A, you've got the platform and the the network there to leverage, to search and advance target any prospect you could possibly want to get in front of. And secondly, the post views and the engagement and the amount of brand awareness you can drive. And I'm talking like six to 10,000 plus views per post that you can get from a larger network is really key. I get this all the time. People always say, oh, should I connect with people I don't know? I literally, every day people ask me that question. I'm like, well, Number one, you don't know why that person is looking to connect with you. So if you ignore them, it's like being at a networking event and somebody coming over, putting their hand up to shake your hand and you're just walking off because you never know why that person wants to connect with you. I was in a course the other day and had a senior level leadership expert, one of the top in the world in the room. And a lady next to him said, well, why would you connect with somebody you don't know? And he went, well, last week I connected with somebody I didn't know. Turns out she's the PA to the CEO of Pfizer and they booked me for a 15 grand speaking gig in New Zealand. Like if he had said, I don't know this person, do not accept, he never would have landed that piece of business. Yet she was sitting there going, well, why would you accept someone that you don't know? So number one, you don't know why they're looking to connect with you. So what's the harm? You're in full control of your account. So if somebody does connect with you and they start pitching you or spamming you or they're they're just not somebody you want in your network, well, then you're in control of that. Just delete them and get rid of them. Absolutely fair point. From a strategic perspective, what are the strategic opportunities that LinkedIn affords corporates? I think there's a number of things here, Marcus. Strategically, I mean, it's about positioning. So very few of your competition really understand how to use the LinkedIn platform. So from a strategic perspective, go have a look at what your competitors are up to. And I guarantee you they're not killing it on LinkedIn because very (laughs) few brands are. (laughs) So go have a look at what they're up to. And I would definitely say that strategically right now is a good time to be looking at LinkedIn, especially if you're not, if you're just starting to kind of see some traction there, but you're not quite sure what to do with it strategically, like look at what your competitors are up to. And I guarantee you, they're probably not doing a great job. You've got the opportunity strategically to get some consistent, and we talked about consistency alignment, making sure that everyone in the organization, A, looks the part looks like they work for your organization and has got some consistency and message across the board. That would be another strategy that you want to look at. Posting, whether it's individuals posting or corporate page, you've got to have a content strategy that drives pull and pulls inbound leads. That has to happen. Understanding the right way to post, how to post, what to post, when to post. All of those things are really key strategically because if you can do that over the long term, like you said, it is about building know, like, and trust and building that relationship with your audience. You can do that both through your staff as well as through your corporate page. And I think as well, most companies, as you know, Marcus, that most of them will know who their target market is. Strategically, if you haven't got a plan on LinkedIn to go after and connect with your target market, then you're missing an absolute trick on the platform. So building a network and pulling people towards you that are in your target market, that are prospects for you, that previously would have taken months, if not years, to get in front of. And LinkedIn, they're right there and they're on your nose. 
Absolutely. Certainly a couple of other things to add to that. One is you can look at your competitors' connections. And it's a very powerful way of being able to identify whether a pursuit is even worth investing in. With an enterprise sale, you could be investing 30, 40, 50, 100 grand. And if your competitors have all the C-suite as first-level connections, and you're seeing that there's that high level of engagement with their content, they're in their user groups, they're in their communities, then the odds are very low that you're going to be able to displace them unless you've found some chink in their armor. The other aspect is being able to target your competitors' customers and being able to use their network to surround them and to be able to use your second and third degree connections in order to be able to create introductions. Because you only have two functions in life in sales. Protect and grow your existing accounts and plunder your competitors. And if you're not using LinkedIn in that way, then you're missing a huge trick. The other aspect is growing key accounts. You know, enterprise accounts are marketplaces in and of themselves. And so often when we're working with our clients, we find that they've been able to get a foothold in Bank of America or BAE or Shell. But it's literally one tiny little silo. And they're not leveraging using the levers within LinkedIn to be able to understand who else they could be getting referred to, who else they could be selling to, being able to identify where they're likely to face a competitive threat because a competitor is within the, uh, that same account, but in a different area. And you need to ring fence and protect against that. So in terms of other strategic consultancy that you offer, I'd be curious to find out how you've been able to bring real value at a strategic level rather than simply the tactical side. I mean, that's one of the first positioning, I guess the first points of contact with people that engage with myself, Mark, is it, it is, you know, before we go into the tactics and the how-to, it is really important that we have that kind of strategic conversation with the leadership team. So in a larger corporate, they have their goals, their objectives, you know, the shareholders are looking for their return, et cetera. So the first conversation has to be strategically what needs to get done, what is the organization trying to achieve, and then how can LinkedIn fit into that strategy overall? Because if we've not got the strategic oversight or the helicopter view first, then there's no point in doing the tactical pieces. And then you've got to look at things like budgets, you know, so is it worth the company investing? Are they already spending money on things like recruiter licenses, navigator licenses? I mean, I was with one company the other day and they've got 78 people in their sales force nationwide across the UK and they've just bought them all sales navigator licenses. And yet the leadership team is saying, well, nobody's got a consistent message and they've just spent a fortune on all these licenses because they thought it was a good idea, but nobody knows how to use it. So now they're kind of trying to work backwards, having now gone down the route of buying all the licenses. Now they've got to figure out how to get them to use it. But it's got to be pulled right back to the strategic conversation first about what are they actually trying to achieve. I think it's really critical that strategy comes first. The other element that I'd like to focus people's attention is that training on its own, you know, feeding people from the fire hose is very unlikely to work. Attending a boot camp or a masterclass is well and good to get them started. I think one of the most important things is that ongoing reinforcement training and turning those skills into behaviors, those behaviors into habits, and that becoming part of the culture. I mean, take someone through the life cycle of what that might look like. Training is one small piece of the the whole picture. 
Um, so yes, absolutely. Strategy's got to come first. So what is the overall objective? What are we trying to achieve? Next, we've got to get these people in your organization understanding how to use the platform. But then it's about embedding culture, the culture of using it on a day-to-day basis and getting those consistent habits around how to use it and how to build it into their prospecting every single day. And that's about accountability. It's about daily habits and getting them to understand. A lot of cases, it's a mindset shift. I mean, a lot of people, especially in sales, are very stuck in their ways. It's about, you know, they're out there cold calling or they're doing it the way they've always done it. But this is such an easier way to get them in front of people. So I think it is just about getting the strategy right. It's about teaching them what to do and then holding them to account. And that can take, you know, a year, two years to bed into an organization. It's about consistently applying things and I guess getting them to see the results as well. Once they start to see the results, they start to see the leads coming in, they start to see that it's working, they will invest, you know, more and more time and energy into it because they see that they're getting the results. And that's effectively what I'm all about, you know. It has to turn into tangible sales results for organizations for it to work, especially if they're investing in some of the tools, the paid for tools that LinkedIn, you know, they're already spending money on this tool. So now they have to turn that into real proper and tangible sales results. And that's about the culture and about bringing LinkedIn into the day to day. I mean, I can teach people how to use LinkedIn in 15 minutes a day or less and get results from it. And we've actually just recently built a daily habit tracker which is an app that will be launched into the App Store very soon, which will allow people to just check in on what are those things I should be doing day to day to bed this into my daily habits and routine. And once they've got it bedded in, it's about then getting consistency and and making sure that the accountability is there to actually make sure that people are actually doing what they should be doing with it. You just beat me to the punch there. One of the things that we're very conscious of is that people need a behavioral cookbook. And LinkedIn and social selling needs to be baked into that behavioral plan. And also to measure what's working and what isn't. A huge mistake I see people make is that they are committing frenetic random activity on the way to the grave. What they're not doing is they're not being systematic. They're not tracking which bits of their content are the ones that get the greatest engagement. They're not digging deep into understanding why that is and then building that into their plan and working on clear 90-day cycles so that there's a primary and secondary message, making sure that they're using it as a tool for identifying and attracting potential future talent, all of these different aspects, which most people are certainly not making use of. And even when they do, they become lazy and complacent. Because what we've often found is that when people are using social selling effectively, suddenly their pipeline gets full and then they take their foot off the gas. And as a result, they go peak trough, peak trough, peak trough. And it's all about consistency. I think you're absolutely right, Mark, because consistency is key as it is with anything, but particularly in the social selling arena, you know, your social selling index can go up very, very quickly in in a matter of weeks, but it can also come back down again very, very quickly too if the consistency isn't there. And I think it is about just, you know, knowing what to measure, as you said, keeping consistency, knowing what the daily habits are that everyone should be doing and getting the strategy right around the messaging and the, you know, what should we be pushing out there? Excellent. Okay, Sam, we're coming up to the top of the hour. So what I'd like to do is for you to give people a link to your 107 sales LinkedIn tips book. 
So um, I give that away for free, Marcus. So anyone listening to this, feel free to go grab yourself a copy. You can go to LinkedIn or linkedout.com. That takes you to a page where you can just pop your email address in and you can download that book for free. I also have a podcast as well, which I shall be inviting you to attend, Marcus, as well, which is LinkedIn or linked out. So you can search for me on podcasts as well. I love giving away. Of course, people can connect with me on LinkedIn. More than happy to talk to and help anybody that needs it. That's how we connected, wasn't it, Marcus? By yep, me absolutely. helping you with something you had some challenges with on LinkedIn. So absolutely. more than happy to help. Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Sam Raffling. And looking forward to the next year ahead. I know there's some exciting developments and changes coming from a LinkedIn perspective. I'm not privy to all of them, but I have a good idea of what some of those may be. So it's exciting times. Excellent. And do you have any masterclasses coming up November, December 2018? I do. I've got a masterclass in November. It's a two-day masterclass in Derby in the Midlands. So that's got a few places left. I've also got some dates in the new year in uh, February and March. So feel free to get in touch. Those are public courses that anyone can attend as well as Obviously, if you want something more bespoke for the organization, they're more than happy to talk about in-house consultancy and in-house training. Excellent. And Sam, what's your email address or should they just get to you on LinkedIn? They can grab me on LinkedIn, but you can also email me on sam at meetsamruffling.com. Excellent. And do you have a landline? I don't have a landline. I don't mind giving my mobile out though, but uh, I'm quite often in trainings and things. So the best way normally is to message me on LinkedIn or drop me an email because I do spend most of my daytimes delivering training. So I'm not the best to get hold of on the phone. (laughs) Excellent. Okay. Well, you're justifiably busy. I think you're the best in the business. Thank you. And I know I've sent a couple of people along to your masterclass in November. I'm looking forward to getting their feedback. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Marcus. It's a pleasure. Thanks again, Sam. So this is Marcus Cowkey from the Inquisitor podcast saying thank you for listening and happy selling.